Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. He's gotta keep living, man. L.I.V. Yeah! This part, no fun! Get away from her, you bitch! You call me Lebowski? You got the wrong guy, I'm the dude! You tell me you built a time machine of Father's State of Canterbury! You're gonna need a bigger coach. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Nerd Trek Movie Club, everyone. Grab your snacks, take a seat. I am Jeff, uh, your host. We're going to uh, dive into a really interesting movie today. Um, and we do have a guest with us. Welcome, uh, which is I, I'm so excited to have you. Um, this is an absolute pleasure for me because you're just an amazing person. Uh, Sabrina Wood from the Sci-Fi Sisters. Hey, thanks, Jeff. And I love I love talking to you about movies. I was so excited when you said you wanted to do this. <laughs> Of course. Well, I know that you're a big fan of movies and you are, I mean, you do every, like you have your own podcast and you love talking about movies and you've been on TCM and you do, you went to the, the Academy Museum and like you do all kinds of stuff. Yes, I do. And I'm a screenwriter and yep. now I'm writing a TV pilot. So, Ooh. yes, this is uh, really interesting. I'm, you know, finished up at New York Film Academy and now I'm spreading my wings. <laughs> Does that mean <laughs> that you're going to be coming out to LA anytime soon? Um, I hope so. Yeah, we're coming out for the cruise. We're going to be out uh, for the Star Trek cruise, so we will be there a day early. You're going to be on the cruise with me, right? Yes, ma'am. I will be there. Yeah, Phil and I will Uh both be on there. Yeah, I actually maybe want to put a day on at the beginning or at the end because I really would like to go back to the Academy Award Museum. And if you are in L.A. and you have not gone to the Academy Award Museum, you really need to try it. It is so much fun, and it's just got... It's got a lot more than just Academy Awards and the, and the award show. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of film history that's just intense, things I never saw. And the current exhibit now is called Regeneration, which is the history of black cinema. Mm-hmm. And um, it is fascinating. So take a look at that. It's definitely $25 to get in. Come on, that's a bargain. Yeah, that's not bad. That's cool. Yep. Um that's why well that's part of why i wanted to have you on is just because you are a plethora of knowledge of just cinema (laughs) and um well because we were talking a little bit the other day um about so there's that there's that new netflix documentary uh is this a black enough uh for you that elvis mitchell did about black cinema and everything and we were talking and and you were saying how you're like oh i already know all these these films and i was (laughs) like i don't know any of these films (laughs) uh because it's i mean like i know like like you know shaft and some of those other ones but i don't know of like you said superfly i was like oh my god yeah superfly i've i've heard of superfly but i've never seen it well, I, then, I've never seen Shrek, so there you go. <laughs> so it, it all bounces out. <laughs> yeah. But um, but that's partially because I wanted to have you on as well, is just that it's it's a whole different library of knowledge that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think a lot of us get inundated with just the like, go see this blockbuster or go see this Academy Award winner, the, the you know, quote unquote classic you have to go see. But like the film we're talking about today, there's so many good films that you just – I don't. I mean, I never would have known unless you had mentioned this film. And it's uh, we're gonna talk about the Bedford incident, um, which is yeah. I had never heard of it, and I know Sidney Poitier like a little bit, like you know, mm-hmm. the Defiant Ones. Guess who's coming to to dinner? Kind of the standards, but like I had never heard of this film. 
Yeah, there's a lot of movies. And, you know, and I have loved Sidney Poitier since I was a kid. Yeah. And my, my dad even loved him. You know, Sidney was Sidney. So, you know, all the black people <laughs> in my film, we were watching Sidney. Sure. But I didn't learn of this film until I was an adult. Okay. I like the Bedford incident. And I can't even remember. It's, it's fairly recently. I would say within the last 10 years that I even learned of this film myself. Okay. So, you know, when I first saw it, I was just absolutely amazed. And it doesn't ever get mentioned when he's, you know, when they're listing things about Sydney. And, and I'll tell you why when we talk about the film, why this film never gets mentioned. Okay. So why did you pick this movie? Of all the films that we could have talked about, and I was like, hey, come talk about a film. Why this one? Well, I wanted to talk about this one because I see a lot of Star Trek parallels there. You know, we both have our Star Trek podcast and we're total Trekkies. And everyone always quotes, um, you know, when they're doing Balance of Terror and they love that show. And then we have Strange New Worlds come out with um, what I forget the name of the episode, but, you know, the the finale, which they do a riff on Balance of Terror. And this is one of those films that um, has inspired. I am sure Now I haven't seen it written anywhere, but if you watch the film and I'm going to tell you something about this film and you agree. I was watching this film and said, oh, yeah. So-and-so definitely saw this movie before he made blank blank. And I'm going to tell you more about that. But um, <laughs> it's it's just amazing all the background about this film. And I started to dive into the history. And that's what movie movie freaks do. <laughs> oh, yes. So yeah, this, as soon as you start like watching a movie, I'm like, I'm going to scroll through IMDb. I'm going to look up every actor and what their backs like, what the like, you know, making this was like everything read the trivia and just keep on going. So, <laughs> and this is a small independent film. So just to you know, kind of recap the plot, sure. um, the Bedford incident is a story of a U.S. Naval commander who's on a mission to ferret out Soviet subs that are coming too close to U.S. waters or whatever. So he's protecting the, the, um, the, the U.S. sub. Uh, water line or whatever then he's so you don't want anybody straying into our neutral zone yeah. uh you know he can't cross that line and so here's this man has he's on on these ships he's in the cold or up in the near the they're in greenland off the coast of greenland yeah near greenland. and it becomes sort of like a few star trek episodes we see where a captain becomes obsessed mm-hmm. with the prey and it's a psychological suspense movie which i found really fascinating and it talked about the mental health of men in combat which i think a lot of people think is a new thing to talk about you know it's ptsd and all the things that we're seeing now with our our troops that are coming home and we've seen this with you know i think we're more knowledgeable about this we're talking about it more we've seen what it does and how it destroys lives if it's not addressed and helped Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, before they would call them, you know, battle tremors or, you know, the shakes or whatever it was. Or but like shell shock. Or, shell yeah. shock was another word for it. But um, I thought this movie was made in 1965. So we we're in the middle of the Cold War. Um, and Vietnam hasn't really ramped completely up yet. But mm-hmm. we have this this movie where the centerpiece is the mental stability of the crew under hours of duress which i thought was really fascinating yeah yeah it's definitely i mean 
I guess the most modern comparison I guess I could make would be sort of like a Crimson Tide Hunt for Red October uh, yes. kind of vibe. Um, but it is interesting how it does – I mean they even blatantly uh, talk about the men's mental health. And, you know, and especially with that kind of ticking clock of because um, there's a point where the sub goes under and it has 24 hours of, of breathable air. And so yes. there's this kind of ticking clock throughout it. And that starts to play into it as well, because um, the crew of, of of the Bedford is just like constantly on watch. They're just so stressed out. And it's just and, and even the doctor is like, you know, it's general quarters and then back to relax and then general quarters. And then it's just it's this constant back and forth that is right. not good for anybody right even sydney who plays the photojournalist who's just attached to the ship for a story and he says even i'm jittery yeah. he's not even wearing the helmet i mean these guys are wearing the metal helmets and they're staring at the screen you know, there's that one scene where richard widmark is playing the captain where he yells at ralston he said if you turn away from that screen one more time and you know the poor guy just turned away for a second yeah. it was just unbelievable so and I'm always amazed that every time I see this film, and I know what's going to happen, it still ramps up the dread, mm-hmm. you know. And they have some really great sequences. The sequence when they are following the sub through the icebergs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even as phony as those icebergs look. <laughs> I, A little bit. Yeah. Wow, this was really. I was like, no, don't go in there. And. I, I thought of things like, you know, um, the Star Trek movie where they went into the briar patch, like they were going to chase the ship into this area that, they, you know, don't go in there. Yeah. I thought about um, the TNG episode, The Wounded, when Captain Maxwell was trying to tell everyone that the Cardassians oh. were doing something. And this is what Finlander yeah. is saying at the beginning of this movie. He says... You know, there's a something, something, and a something, something. You know, it was all this naval jargon that I cannot remember. Excuse me, Navy people. Right. I'm yeah. sorry. But he was saying that the sub was doing something. He was sure of it. And that's why he was chasing it. And everyone was like, you know, whatever, dude. But I said, oh, this is Maxwell going after the Cardassian. And he's right. But they're not believing him, you know? Yeah. And so I saw a lot of Star Trek sort of sequences and scenes and i said people who write star trek <laughs> want to do the must have seen this movie oh, um, absolutely yeah yeah it's even if we had never heard of it <laughs> someone did yeah they did now yeah. the other interesting thing is this movie comes out in 1965 which is one year after dr strangelove and right. dr strangelove was directed by Sidney kubrick as we all know and the man who directed this film was a colleague of Stanley's Stanley Kubrick, and they had made four movies together. They actually had a production company together, and um, the man that directed this film is named James something or the other. I'll find it. But um, he had a production company with Stanley, and Stanley is the one that taught him how to direct. And so this is his first debut movie after he leaves the Stanley Kubrick um uh, partnership and it, okay. it didn't end on sad terms or anything he just decided that he wanted to you know direct himself he was watching he said well you know what sure. i'm gonna try one too so yeah. he does and uh james harris james harris james harris right and so he produced with uh he was the producer for stanley's movies and mm. so they produced the film noir classic the killing which is a Ooh, if yeah. You, yeah if you know film noir you're gonna go like oh my god really <laughs> 
which was one of Stanley Kubrick's very first films. And it's just, it's a film noir classic. They also did Paths of Glory together with Kirk Douglas. Oh, okay. Yes, this is a Stanley directed. This man, James Harris, who's the director of this movie, was the producer of that. Now, here's Six Degrees of Separation. So <laughs> he decides to go make his own movie. He's going to, um, He, I think he had Dr. Strangelove as well as Stanley. Then he finds out that Stanley's going to make the movie. So he's like, ah, you know, got to go back to square one. He, he said, I went to a bookstore and I found a book that was on the bestseller list. It was this book. Of the Bedford incident, he reads it and he's like, "Yes, this is the movie I want to make because I want to do this suspense thing. Got to do it." So yeah. he goes ahead to do it. To do it, and now he just made Pals of Glory with uh, Kirk Douglas, and um, they decide that okay, this is the film we're going to make. He's going to go make it, and he gets the cameraman on that movie um, comes over to make the movie with James Harris, and so. This man, I think his name is Gil Toomey, he makes the movie with them, and he becomes like the cameraman of the hour. He goes on to make Star Wars. Nice. And if you don't think that that scene where they're in the submarine and they're looking at that big grid and they're marking where the ship is and where the line is doesn't look like when they were tracking the Death Star. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's straight out of it, isn't it? Oh, my God, it is. You're so right. <laughs> he is the same cameraman. And after he made the movie with, um, I think he did Spartacus with Kirk Douglas, and then he does this movie with James. He becomes well-known. He's mm. the cameraman of the hour. Everybody wants him. He makes Star Wars. He's famous as everything. And, you know, and I, every time I see that scene, I'm like, got that right out of the Bedford incident. That's, <laughs> oh, yeah, you can totally see that. Absolutely. It, it looks just like it. It looks just like it. So I love those kind of, you know, little quinky dinkies. <laughs> it's and, such a small world sometimes because there's always like, like, you know, someone knows someone who then worked on something else. And then it, and you can kind of see it bleed through. Well, and it keeps on going because the man that wrote the script, his name is James. I'm really bad. James Poe. Mm-hmm. And he was a pro at adapting um, screenplays from the original source book or play. Yeah. And he is the same person that wrote or adapted Lilies of the Field. Oh, which is such a good one. Right. So here we go. And uh, so Richard Widmark actually oh, – so Sidney comes in because James Poe was brought in to do the adaptation of the screenplay. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, by the way, I just worked with Sidney. He would be great in this. And the reason why I will pick this film and why it's never mentioned – is because this is the first time in Sydney's 15-year career that he gets a part where he is not mentioned as being a black man. Yeah, there's more like kind of pressure against him because he's a journalist. There's or, like, no like mention biased. of his race. Yeah, they didn't no say concern. anything. Right. Well, can can we talk about that a little mm, bit? Sure. This is not why I picked the movie actually. Cool. Um. So, um, is that good or bad? Like from your perspective, like does it? Do you want it brought up or does it? Do you care? Or does it, it depend had, on the It had film? nothing to do with the film. It didn't matter that he was he was in the book. The journalist is white. There was no okay. mention. He was not a black man. And so James uh, Harris was all for it. He said, yes, you know, let's do Sydney. He said that would be perfect. Yeah. And they, they didn't write anything else into it because it was Sydney, mm-hmm. you know, and they didn't, um, you know, they didn't 
have to change anything. Even the scene, which I thought was very interesting, when he sits down with the German Commodore, mm-hmm. and he's saying he said he made that crack to the Commodore about yeah, this is like Sig Heil time, and the yeah. Commodore got a little back up. He was like, yo, you know what are you talking? And I thought, oh, here we go, <laughs> we're gonna hear something. Nope. They just let the scene play. It was just one man talking to another man, and he was like, hey, that was really not cool. That was 20 years ago, and he said that was another time, I think he said to Sydney. and Sydney apologized for what he said to him, So, but they never brought up Sydney's race or anything about that, and I just loved that. But funny story is, so James Harris, who's priding himself on not, you know, being blind race with this casting, a race blind, whatever they call it. So the next film that Sidney says to James that he wants to make, he said, oh, you know, this is this really great police detective story about a black man, you know, down. And James says, you know, if you if you would never make this movie, if not for the fact that the guy is black, because I'm really not interested in it being the guy that he is. He's like, I don't want to make this movie because it's about a black guy. He doesn't make the movie with Sidney. Sidney goes on to make in the heat of the night. And yeah. James Harris says, well, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a good, that's that's, a, that's a, an amazing film, too. But he didn't want to make it because he said, this is yeah. really because of this, because this guy's race, because I'm not interested. And Sidney's like, it's a great movie. Come on, let's do this. And he says, he says no. <laughs> well, especially because that's the entire point of that film is right. that that's the major factor in him being there in the South. Yeah, right. Right. And and it was coming right off of this one. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm into. I'm trying to do something else here. So I really applaud James Harris for sticking to his guns, even though he gave up in the heat of the night. Right. It would be a different film, I think, than if because if he had put his stamp on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For the heat of the yeah. night. Yeah. Um, does that ever like factor in for you? I mean, I guess it depends on the story of the film. I mean, obviously, like in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner or in the Heat of the Night races is a huge issue that's kind of the main plot of it but then in a film like this where it's it doesn't it, it shouldn't matter like it could have been a woman being a journalist it could have been sure. a, like a black man or like a hispanic man or or, or anybody it, it didn't matter right it would so i thought it was really i i like this and it's so unusual even in 1965 and even sydney yeah. made a comment that this was the first time he ever made a film where his race was not mentioned in the movie at all, and it wasn't any part of the story, and you still had a great slam bang story, and he's yeah. the co-star, so um, and yeah, wh- he's like second billing. Yeah, yeah. Richard Widmark um, actually wanted to buy the story before James Harris did. James Harris beat him to the options, so Richard Widmark was disappointed. But this is Richard Widmark's production company that's making this film. Okay. So um, Richard came up with the cash. So <laughs> and, he's like, oh, "I'm going to play the captain." Yeah. Right. And as James Harris said, you know, you can have a great story, but people, when you're pitching, they don't say what's the story about. They say who's in it. Mm-hmm. And once Richard Widmark said he would con- connect it to the movie, it, it got made. You know, so right. here comes the money. Here comes everybody. Then here comes Poe, the screenwriter, saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we should ask Sydney. Sydney comes on. And James Harris said, for my first movie, out of the box, I get <laughs> Richard Widmark and Sydney Poitier. And then Donald Sutherland is also in this movie. Right? Yes. Because uh, right. we had talked about this film a little bit. And then I'm watching it. And I'm like, is that Donald Sutherland in, like, this bit role? Yes. Yes, and one that's of his crazy. Earliest roles, and Martin Balsam, 
knocks it out of the park as the doctor and yeah. he will win an Academy Award the very next year for Best Supporting Actor. So, I mean, this movie is packed. I mean, I also mm-hmm. wanted to show this film or discuss this film because these small little gems that are, you know, you know, made for under a million dollars and, you know, the, it's just amazing. You have all these people in it because it was like a, a, a they just loved this idea. They loved the mm-hmm. story. And they weren't in it for like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a blockbuster. It was not. And they knew it wasn't going to be a blockbuster, but it was going to be a really great story and, you know, one that they could be proud of. And I think I think it stands up, even though, you know, there's a lot of wrong information, like the ship is a British ship and it's got all this crazy stuff like the U.S. Navy didn't want anything to do with it. So they wouldn't lend them a ship. They didn't want to do it on a set. So. They went to England. The English Navy said, yeah, sure, you can have a ship. So they just tricked it out to be a U.S. ship. But some things are obvious. And so a lot of people, you know, have pointed out, like, the inaccuracies and all this kind of crazy stuff. Nitpick about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You know, but they were like, yeah. Like, for example, there's no way that one man can shoot off a nuclear weapon. But they just wrote that in. (laughs) Everybody said, wait, it always takes two guys. Yeah. It's for the story. Yeah, right. One with the button, one with the key. But yeah. But this is a film that could have taken place in the 60s during the Cold War or or World War II or Vietnam or now. Uh, It's the same, like, very similar story. I mean, or this is could have been in, like, the 80s or 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you've got a man that decides that he knows that something's going on. I think there were two Mm -hmm. things going on with the character. Um, And and James Harris loves, if you listen to the movies that he produced – you know, he loves these psychological dramas, you know, these 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 protagonists that like in Paths of Glory, the Kirk Douglas character who's troubled with knowing that he's going to execute innocent men. Mm. And then Lolita, they make that one, too. You know, and so here's a guy that's yeah. got a lot of problems. Right. And um, now we have Finlander. Here we go with this guy who went with the scene where he screams that he's a good patriot. Yeah. He's like he, he just takes Sydney out in the wardroom then and, and he's just screaming at him. And he's thinking Sydney is going to, you know, write a story that's bad or that's going to say that he's this warmonger or whatever. And he's saying, I'm a good patriot. And what is wrong with that? And he disagrees. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's he disagrees with the Navy policy. He wants to go after this ship. And I love that analogy he made when he said, if someone robs my house. I'm not going to stop just because he made it to the sidewalk. So once that sub made it across the line into international waters, he was supposed to break off that chase and he doesn't. Yeah, it's it, he's a Finlander is a very interesting character. Um, mm. Like you were saying, because he's kind of got this duality where he he feels he's a patriot or at least he's a patriot in his in the way he feels that a patriot should be. Not necessarily how the government or the the Pentagon, you know, like has they have to follow rules, and he because he gets increasingly frustrated as NATO just keeps telling him to wait, don't do anything, you know, just sit tight, and he's just getting madder and madder about it. Because um, then you also learn a bit about like why he was passed over for being an admiral because he yes. disagreed with like the official policies, kind of hot headed. It's and so you see, I think this frustration he has. With like, I'm doing everything to save my country and save my soldiers and 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 save the world, but you're not letting me do it. Right. And you're so he's 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 gonna do what he feels is is right. 
um, up until that that very line. And and that is so wild that you say that because the doctor says the very same thing to Sydney mm-hmm. when he says this guy is calling general quarters every five minutes. They're, these guys are ramped up and they are ready to fight and they can't. And he said, and that is a dangerous situation. And that's exactly what you just described that Finlander's problem was. Yeah. He was on that bridge. He was ramped up. He was ready to go. He sees the sub. He's waiting for the order to, you know, force him out of there, make him identify themselves. And NATO says, wait. And he, because he had him. Mm-hmm. He had him in in our waters in Greenland. He was they were within the three mile limit, and he was like, "Oh man, did that look on his face? He was Tommy Udo, right? You remember? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he was just like he was seething inside. He was like, I got him, and then and, and then here comes the message, just like in Crimson Tide. You hear that? You know, Jeff's con four. Whatever. Here comes the message. Wait, and I love the close up on the paper. Wait, wait. That's very dramatic. And um, what does he say? Who else has seen this? Don't yeah. let the crew know. Yeah, it's interesting where he he creates this environment on the ship where – because, I mean, I think they even make a comment where, like, um, none of them ever get sick yes. and none of them ever want to transfer off. Like, they love being on this, this boat. And so he creates this environment of, like um, – not a cult, but like just like like supreme allegiance and like yeah, we're like gonna minded. give everything. Yeah, and it's it's such a fascinating thing because they everyone uh, on the crew is is gonna put forth their like one hundred percent. Even the like radar guy who finally oh. you know, kind of loses it and he's like he he can't read the radar anymore because he's just burnt out. Was that a scene? I'm like, go on, yeah. Wally Cox. Yeah, here's another name, Wally yeah. Cox. And he was so good. He was so good. I loved it when he said, uh, and tell somebody to tell Quirrell to put his comic book down. He's like, I heard that, <laughs> sir. <laughs> and he just comes out so disheveled, like right towards the end. And and I think it, it, it kind of gives that prelude that, okay, if he's burnt out, then everyone else has to be. Right. And some, some shit's going to go down right. somewhere. He'd been on that sonar screen for 40, what, what, 24 hours. Yeah. For 22 hours. He had not left us. And and Finlander tried to relieve him. And just like yeah. you're saying, these guys were all in it. They weren't being forced. They were of like minds. And, you know, Finlander had picked his tribe and they were on that ship with him because yeah. he says, hey, you know, go get some rest. And he says, no, sir, I'm driving the ship from here. No, I'm not leaving. He's like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to get this sub. So the only one that was new to it all was Ralston. The, you know, Dano from Hawaii Five O, another oh. name in this film. I was like, oh no, they got Dano too. <laughs> I'm loving this movie. Yeah, because he's kind of this like, you know, comes out of college, you know, star yes. quarterback, like he does everything right. And then even Finlander's like, I have to bring him down a few pegs because they're like, why? Because now he's just going to fuck up somewhere, which he does. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I terribly. That. I was like, was he jealous of this kid? I mean, what? It's like, he just didn't like him. Why did he feel he needed to? Take him down a few pegs. Even his, his you know, his XO is like, wh- why? His number yeah. one, his his Riker says, let up on the kid. I think, yeah, I don't know why. It's like, is he jealous or does he think that Ralston feels he's better? Or yeah, I, I, I don't think like he, he wants got, to break him. Yeah, maybe know? we'd have to read the book for that. But it, we didn't really get why he was, was putting his thumb on that kid so hard. 
when he wasn't doing it to anybody else. Well, he was tough with everybody on the ship, but those other guys all were in it. Yeah. They got it. You know, they were, you know, when he, even when he yelled at the guy that came with the coffee, you right. know, he was like, here's some hot fresh coffee for you, sir. Get out of here. You know, the guy just, like, just turned leaves. on his heel. <laughs> another day, you know, another day in the command booth. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not a problem. But, oh, my God, I thought it was just a fascinating story of these relationships that and I, I like the story of, of Sydney mm-hmm. and the doctor seeing this all go on, you know, as as observers, you know, this doctor was definitely stationed on the ship. Yeah. But Sydney comes in. They both came in on the same helicopter. So they just got there and they're like, what in the world is going on on this bucket? You know, Yeah, it's a whole different environment. Um which I think it, it's like if you take any outsider and you put them into that kind of situation and they're like, yeah, something's off. You all agree on this, but no, this is weird. Yeah. You don't see this. You don't see this is weird. Yeah. You're sitting there you know, looking for potato skins in the water and you, know, you don't think this <laughs> <Yeah>. is crazy. <laughs> that was some, I was like, what are they it's looking weird. at? They're searching the garbage to tr- see how long ago the Russian sub was in the air. I mean, it was just, they were after this guy. They were after him, and it was just not going to let up. And I thought the last sequences were, they were really exciting when he was like, oh, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to pass right over him. And I'm like, no, you're not. Fuck out! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that entire last sequence is, because I got so invested in it, is that I didn't even realize that, that you know, like the hour and a half was up or however long it is. Mm-hmm. And then it's like everything happens in that last 10 minutes. Yes. And it, and it happens so quickly um, oh. where they try and do that. And then everyone's all stressed out and they kind of prep the to launch the rockets. And then he just misspeaks or, you know, Ralston mishears and he's like, fire the missile. And then you're just like, <laughs> oh, dear Lord, like what's going to happen? And and of course, my brain goes, oh, it's fine. They'll just disarm it. You know, he'll right. he'll get written up and court martialed or something. And you're like, nope, we just like. They they destroy the sub, but then the sub launched torpedoes. They, and then the, they, they the, got off a last shot. Yeah, and you're like, and then everyone just dies. Everyone dies in the end. <laughs> Everybody die. You die, and you die, and you die. Everybody yeah. die, die. Everybody die, like in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, but it's and, oh. and it's crazy too, is because like when they do go to general quarters, um, the commodore gives Sydney a life jacket and he's like oh i just i thought you would want it and he goes but it doesn't matter because if you if you do go into the water we're gonna freeze and <laughs> and then even the, four minutes <laughs> yeah and then the captain's like well we're mostly aluminum so if we do get hit we're gonna go up anyway so there's no point that was like oh my god and sydney's like running around like you have an evasion plan right Right? It's like, no, yeah. Sydney, you all are cooked, okay? Nope. Which was amazing. I did, The first time I saw that movie, I couldn't move after the end of the movie. I was like, oh! Yeah. What? You're I'm like, what just happened? We just gave all these spoilers off for anybody that wants to see this movie, but... Oh, um, no. Go see it. Well, because I... appreciate it anyway. The ramp-up is worth it. The ramp-up is yeah. worth it. It's so good. Well, because I, I figured, and, and, and this is a very, like, kind of... 60s film in that the explosion happens and then it just goes the end and i was like 
did anyone make it into the water? Is there like a hope? Or is there a chance of survival? And then goes, no. Just, nope. The end. He had a nuclear mushroom. <laughs> no hope. Nope. It's gone. Which didn't make any sense to me because I, I didn't understand how it, the, the explosion came from underneath. I don't know. Um, I'm being... Them being like, and you know what was really weird too? I noticed that the number on the ship was one one three. Like they had that thirteen in there. I was like, oh y'all, are, this is not oh, a good luck ship. It's cursed. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it it was um, I don't know. I just got. I liked the Commodore, mm-hmm. and and so and even that reminded me of Star Trek because it was sort of like, and it wasn't the same situation at all. But it, again, going back to the wounded, where you had the enemy on the ship watching the captain do whatever yeah you know? so you had the cardassian he wasn't goldicott yet but there he is oh, and he's like you've got to stop this guy maxwell mm-hmm. you know you know he was chasing but it was like almost like this 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 observer who was the enemy but is not at this particular moment he's not the enemy and right. i thought his character was really fascinating because when Sydney asked the captain, why is the Commodore out there? What is he doing? And he said, he's not here. He's, his mind is 200 feet down with that ship, with the, with the submarine. Yeah. Yeah, cause, yeah. there was yeah. a couple of scenes when uh, I think when they realized that they only had, they only probably had like one hour left of, uh, of air. Mm-hmm. But they were sitting on top of the sub and the, the Commodore says, you know, they're becoming desperate men. And the look on his face, he was just like, oh, my God, these poor guys. I know what this is. I've been in that U-boat. And he goes, they are just suffering. He said, it's going to start to stink now down there. Remember? I was like, oh, jeez, yeah. this guy is living it. It's, I, I liked his character a lot. I think um, – so Finlander as the captain only really – kind of lets I think two people kind of slide or, or let him or lets two people talk to him on right. a, a more level playing field. And I think so one is is the XO when when they have that talk about Ralston is getting they're kind of joking back and forth where he's like, oh, you you play the part of a of an old angry bastard so well. Um, and then the, uh, the Commodore, because even the Commodore is like, you need to give this up. You mm-hmm. are, are becoming obsessed and, and he lets it slide a little bit, but he, they're the only two that can even maybe get through to Finlander. That can even talk back to him about it and say, yeah. dude, <laughs> you know, and I think those were the only two men that he really respected on that ship. Yeah. Cause he had great yeah. respect for the Commodore. Cause he says this guy sunk 200,000 tons of U uh, S of allied shipping. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got to take my hat off to that, even though those were my men you sunk. I got to give you your kudos, brother. You sunk how much? Right. It's it's always crazy to me um, when when films or TV shows are very kind of of the the time. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I was watching I, – I went back and watched the, the entire series of Quantum Leap recently. <laughs> and it deals a lot with, like, Vietnam and, like, you know, the 60s, 70s and all of that. Um which to my generation is like, I don't really have any experience or anyone, or I didn't know anyone who went to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And then you watch a film like this where they're like, they're making World War II references because that was in the, their lifetime. That was only yeah, 20, was 20 years 20 ago. years before. And it's, it's interesting how, cause like they said, Oh, he's from West Germany. And you're like, that just sounds weird. Um, right. But how like, Oh, well he was our enemy then, but now we're going to use them to fight this new enemy. Yes. Um, 
but it's just so interesting how these films can show a place in time where people are like can deal with a, a world war and then into a cold war and dealing with all these like a, a weird situational things that we hopefully n- never have to deal with right you know? these old wounds that you know because even sydney was he grudgingly gave the commodore his respect but yeah. he made a couple of snaps you know comments about him being german right and i love it when he said oh yes the germ you're the uh from hit from hitler's navy and then the commodore says no from admiral donut's navy mm-hmm. and that was the german you know admiral the german hero who he was just a great naval officer. There was, I mean, I, I can, right. I know my boss is crazy, but <laughs> right, yeah, but they still so did their I love jobs. That he made that differentiation to to Sydney, like you know, no, I'm not Hitler's man. I would never was. Yeah, he was just a soldier doing his job. I'm just doing my job. Doing his thing, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I liked in this film was too is that um, the use of sound. <gasps> yes. So f- for the first, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes is just like, it's just noise. It's like wind and the helicopters and you don't even he- hear anybody talk until Sydney and the doctor get on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, it's, it gets very quiet. Like once you're on the ship and then you can hear that. And then through most of the, the last half, it's like, you know, radar pings. Uh, just, that would make me crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. This, this, incessant radar pings or that wind howling does i mean you picture how cold it is it and it, they made you feel like it was really cold yeah absolutely I, they would just oh god when they and even when they shot the um the flares because they were trying to find they were mm. trying to find the sub i jumped when the flare <laughs> yeah. went off. i thought i thought it was like a rocket i was like oh no <laughs> something happened yeah because well, you don't know. I mean, because at that point in the film, you're like, did someone shoot something off? You don't know what's going to happen. Oh, I know. I was sitting on you know, tenderhooks, and they, and they, you know, when they, they went to silent running. And again, we saw that in Star Trek. And we saw that in Balance of Terror when they had to turn off everything, right? Mm-hmm. Don't anybody move. Everybody was going on silent running. You know, cool. you know I, I just love submarine movies, even though this was not a sub. This was the destroyer. Yeah. But, you know, this was definitely run silent, run deep, right? <laughs> oh yeah there there's something or maybe it's a it's just me but i or it could be you too because if because if you love sub movies there's something like just inherently um thrilling and suspenseful of people trapped in a tube underwater mm-hmm. of like you're gonna run out of air can they hear us because like you can you know drop some change and and they can or you can talk and they'll they'll hear you mm-hmm. yeah and just kind of this it's just this weird world but, oh, yeah. but I love it's, like I love Hunt for Red October. I love those those yes. kind of films. Love Hunt for Red October. Also, Crimson Tide. I will watch that anytime. Um, yeah. There's another there's another one that I can't remember the name of it. It's a British film, and it's like they, it, there's just an accident. They go out for you know a regular patrol. John Mills is in it. Oh, somebody in the okay. chat or someplace. You know, put it put it in the notes, please. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. And and the. Sh- they sink and they have to like nobody's thinking to look for them because they're on a regular little patrol so they're not okay. even going to be missing for a certain amount of time and then you know it's, it's the story of you know who can get they were trying to get out of the sub and up into the oh it was just it was just horrible but oh, they only man. had enough air for so many men to make that trip out of the sub right and oh my god every time i <laughs> 
I think in which we serve, or I think it's it's something like that. It's, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a it's a famous World War Two. It's not even World War Two. It does happen like I thought it happened also like in the fifties after the war, but maybe maybe oh, not. Oh, maybe. But one thing I did want to bring up is that yeah. Richard Widmark and Sidney Poitier were very good friends in real life. They were okay. lifelong buddies, and this was the last film together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made three movies together. The first one was No Way Out, which is where they met. And that movie was the one where Richard Widmark plays a bigot who is okay. a, a, cri- a criminal. And he gets I think he gets shot or something. I haven't seen this movie in, like, decades. And Sidney plays a young intern mm-hmm. who is who operates on him. I think he operated on the brother. The brother dies. And so Richard Widmark is, like, you know, calling him every N-word, everything. And Richard Widmark is such a sweetheart, and he's such a nice guy, that every time they said cut, he would apologize to Sidney profusely. They said it was killing Richard Widmark to say these things to him. And he and Sidney bonded making this movie because both of them, this was one of Sidney's first films. He's getting called the N-word every other scene. And, you know, it's a really rough movie to watch, probably why I haven't seen it in decades. Sure. And there's a riot, and, you know, it just gets real. And um, they became fast friends. And I know one time we talked about this, uh, the first Trek Talks, which is coming up next month, people. So Trek Talks 2 on January 14th. Absolutely. That's going to be great. Yeah, there was a panel, and it was the gentleman who played the Vulcan commander, the Vulcan admiral in Discovery, the black man. And he was talking about the toll of playing some of these scenes where, you know, somebody's being lynched or somebody's being, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the toll it takes on the actors. And I was, we were thinking about it and we said, yeah, you know, if you got to keep playing these roles, it's just such a, oh my God. And now here was Richard Widmark, you know, putting it on the other foot saying like, and playing the racist right. is killing me too. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. It was really interesting that they became lifelong friends. They made another movie called The Long Ship, which is one of my favorites. Sydney plays a, a Muslim in Spain. Oh, and um, Richard Woodmark is a, is a Viking. It is <laughs> I have to check these out. Oh, you got You have not seen The Long Ship? Oh, my God. I haven't. There's this That's whole crazy. slew of like, okay, so this is what kind of runs through my mind sometimes is like, so kind of like I said, it's um, you know we always think of these big, you know go go watch The Godfather or uh, Casablanca or whatever it is, um, but you never really think about these movies that kind of are just like yeah we made a film it did fine it wasn't like a huge deal but it, it came out and but the, but they're so good yeah. um, and especially it's you know I think about how films are now like. Um, you know, just kind of a middle of the road film comes out and it's like, yeah, it's kind of popular now. It makes its money. But in 20 years, is anyone going to know what it is? Or is, right. it, is it going to be rediscovered in 40 years? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like how many more of these films that are just like they're they're decent films. They were made that just no one knows about, because unless you dive into film history, right, you, you probably never will know about it. They're not replayed all the time. You know, it, it doesn't get the, you know, the. FX playing it and Hulu bringing it yeah. back and and that's what really kills you because you sit to do and you see all these streamers now you go to they have their own original shows but then mm-hmm. you know 
a lot of the shows that are in the vaults of Paramount or Fox or all of these old studios are now two ninety nine. You got to rent it. You know, you can't just watch it. They don't just show it and unless yeah. you want to pay the money to see this old film. You may not. You know, why would you do that if you didn't know it was a great film? Um, but, right. you know, there are so many. I'll give you one with Humphrey Bogart that few people know that is one of his best films. I swear to God, it's called In a Lonely Place. Okay, it sounds familiar. He plays a screenwriter who gets accused of murder, and Gloria Graham is his girlfriend, and he's abusive to her, and then she starts to think, you know, you maybe could have done this. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a wild movie, and I've shown it to a few people, and they're like, they never mentioned this. I should do an article about films that they never mentioned, people being, you know, the greatest Never mentioned films. <laughs> yeah, like it's because it, it, it's it's this whole very underrated films that you know people get remembered for what they won the award for or what made a lot of money, but sometimes these they I feel like like the acting in some of these other ones are just as good if not better because yeah. it's just maybe it's less pressure or less what like whatever it is, but I mean they're putting out just good solid work. I mean yeah. I don't, because I, I can't think of a, a, a bad Sydney film. Like, I really can't. Because he's just good in everything. Um, well, you got you haven't seen The Long Ships yet. <laughs> okay. Well, fair, fair. He so is so bad in this. <laughs> <laughs> What's it's funny, like though, one because... Of those, get some popcorn, you know, you got to play a drinking game every time Sydney <laughs> says... That he is, I mean, I don't know what it was about this movie. I mean, he's not bad in it, but let's just say yeah. he's not believable as a more. And I just crack up because I just can't. He's got straightened hair, you know, yeah. they, they conked his hair, and he's like, he looking like some guy from The Temptation. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's not quite right. That's funny. <laughs> but the movie is so enjoyable. It is so ridiculous. You gotta love it. Yeah. You know what's funny is, like, I, I mean, because I, being a film nerd, like I know who, who Sydney was, but I, the first film that I ever remember seeing him in was the film Sneakers from the oh, 90s. Wow, one of the later films. Yeah. So, you know, it was like Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is kind of these like older guys who break into stuff to right. like, yeah. And, but that's the one I remember Sydney from. I was like, oh, and then I'm going to, and then I went back and saw all, all the old stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I love Sneakers to no end. <laughs> I don't know why. No, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. You know, there's just a, a like if you get Robert Redford in a movie, I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, he's one of my absolute favorite actors of all times, and I think he's totally underrated. You know, he's only remembered for two films, and he's made so many other like I love Electric Horseman. That's the movie. I know that one. Robert Redford. Okay, yeah. I'm giving you another one. Okay. The Electric Horseman. I cry every time I see that movie, and you know, I love any movie that's got a horse in it. Okay, fair. And he's he's got a horse in this one, and he steals the horse because they're making the horse do all these like trade shows. And this horse had been a thoroughbred. This horse had been like the greatest, it's like secretariat, right? But yeah. the horse has now been put out to pasture and is doing stupid conventions. And he sees the horse, and he can't take it anymore. You know, he's on the horse. I mean, they they hire him and the horse, and he's like a drunk or whatever. And he just takes the horse, and they just bolt down like. <laughs> the main street in Las Vegas. He's run, They outrun the police cars. The, the horse, he's like, go. And the horse is like, 
boom, the horse takes off. He's back in the secretariat mode, man. He just outraces everybody. And I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, my God. It is the best movie. So he steals the horse. <laughs> yeah. He's he's good. Yeah. He was even in an episode of Twilight Zone. And, and he was good in that. Yeah. I've, I've heard of this Twilight Zone one that he's done. I don't think I've ever seen that episode. I can't. But I've it's seen an like, yeah. image of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. I mean, well, I'm also a big Twilight Zone fan, so I mean, I'll watch any of those. Especially. Have you seen the George Takei Takai one? Have you ever seen this episode? No, I've seen the Shatner ones. I think James yeah. Dillon did one. Oh, but I, yes, never saw I didn't know that. Yeah, George did one. Oh, okay. I'll have to go back and watch it because I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I one really... of the yeah one of the streamers has a, a Twilight Zone. Yeah, you know who told me that? Hmm. Mark Scott Sacre, the direct, the writer of. Um, I'm blank. <laughs> the Deep Space Nine episode where uh, Cisco is the the writer back in. Oh, is that Pale Moonlight or no? I I'm not that far into DS9 yet. We're only in season one, <gasps> so I don't. Oh my god! Well, I'm already in the firing squad because I can't remember the name of the movie right now. But <laughs> the, the episode everybody's gonna Far Beyond the Stars. Okay. Far Beyond the Stars. Yeah. Mark Scott Decree sat down with us, the Sci-Fi Sisters, and we talked about Far Beyond the Stars. And, you know, he told us, he's also a big Twilight Zone. He wrote mm-hmm. a book about the Twilight Zone, and he's done all this stuff with the Twilight Zone. Ooh. So I went to go, you know, check out his book and all that. And he mentioned on the on the podcast that George Takai had done one. And I was like, what? I don't remember this. And so I had to go look yeah. it up. Yep. And there it is. It's a wild episode. I'll I'll check it out. Yes, that sounds cool. Yes, yeah, because because it, it's always fun to go back and watch those, and you're like, oh, there's that's someone who who did you know got into Star Trek or like became famous later on or something. Those are a lot cool. of people in Twilight Zone that you know you're like, oh, look who's in this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I just want to thank you for telling me about this film. I I thoroughly enjoyed watching this, and I I love a good suspenseful just like you don't you have no idea what's going to happen kind of film so thank you for smacking me over the head with it for an incident man it needs to be this needs to be better known it does absolutely and i there's no bad performances it's just like you feel you're there on the ship and you're on edge the entire time yes it's very claustrophobic it's very uh, like you said, the sounds, and I even, I swear, there were even a couple of sequences where I felt that Star Trek music coming up. You know, it's <laughs> it like, to swell. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of like, uh-oh, this is like fighting music, here we go, uh-oh, Vulcan yep. music. <laughs> they hey, had it's possible. kinds of sequences, and I just said, who is making all these choices in this? Because it's two years before Star Trek? One year before Star Trek's going to come out. Yeah. And I think, you know, directors had a lot of, there were a lot of close-ups, too. There were a lot of Mm-hmm. Uh, in your face shots that were wow. It was it's just a really interesting movie just to watch how it was made and the people behind the scenes and um you know when you've got two Oscar winners an Oscar nominee a Golden Globe winner and you know an honorary Oscar winner with Donald Sutherland all in the movie yeah. it can't go wrong. No, you cannot go wrong. It is definitely worth it. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. So yeah, so so listeners go out and watch it. Um, I rented it on on Amazon. It was three bucks. Uh, mm-hmm. It's worth a watch, absolutely. And then come back and tell us about Doctor Strange. Though Doctor Strange though is made yeah. before this movie. Then we have this movie. Go watch Star Wars after you see this film. And- <laughs> you can see it. 
<laughs> you know that somebody was watching this film. <laughs> oh yeah. And uh, and then watched the Wounded with Captain Maxwell, and you know, you know, even even Richard Woodmark has a couple of Jellicoe moments in there too. So there was, I was feeling Star Trek all over this movie when I was watching it. <laughs> There's some vibes there. There definitely yep. is. Yep. Nice. Um, well, uh, let's do this. Um, so I think most people know you, uh, Sabrina, from the from the Sci-Fi Sisters. You, I think you. Uh, as of the day of this recording, you just released the episode talking to Sonequa. S- S- I think, right? Oh my God! Yes, we did. Oh, that's awesome. Tell us a little bit about Sci-Fi Sisters and just and all of that. Well, the Sci-Fi Sisters is a podcast. You can find it on wherever you get your podcast. And we are four black women of different ages. Um, two of us are OGs. It started with uh, the original series, and two of us are from Next Generation Generation. And we talk about um, not just Star Trek, but all black science fiction, fantasy. Uh, we have a book club. We, we just really want to. One of the things I want to do is bring black science fiction to the point where you don't have to say it's black science fiction. Yes, absolutely. And there's some really good sci-fi out there yeah. with with black characters. It's just a character. Yeah, it's just got yeah, black it's, characters. It's, it's just good. It's just good sci-fi. <laughs> just just read it. Yeah, <laughs> it's for you too. And absolutely. I think we've introduced people to a lot of. Um, books and films that we are really enjoying um we're getting ready to watch the kindred series in a minute um you know Octavia butler's famous work uh for star trek one thing we just really like to do in the sonequa interview was really just a dream come true because we really loved nichelle and ahura and i know all the yeah. love that everyone has for her and it was such a loss you know and yeah. it was just really hard for us so especially fran and myself who grew up watching that well, that's who we saw um and then the fact that it took 51 years before we got another black woman on the bridge yeah. was big for us. And I know some people don't see it that way. And they're like, well, there's plenty of black people in Star Trek. And I'm like, yes, there were. But to it's have different. made... Yeah, this is different. You made that whole thing about her being on the bridge such a big part of why Star Trek is so cool. And then you don't do it again. You don't, right. <laughs> you yeah. just dropped it. You, like A couple of shows like don't have any black women on the ship at all. So... You know, here comes Sonequa Martin-Green, and we just ate it up. We were just, okay, as Fran always says, I've been waiting 50 years to see this again. Yeah. So she she's really important to us. And the thing that was great is that she was as wonderful as we thought she was going to be. She was, she was <laughs> just so cool. We had the best time talking to her. And she says she wants to come back. She wants to do another show. That's awesome. Yes, she's really fun. She's really nice. She's genuine. What you see is yeah. definitely what you get. Yeah, even the like couple moments I saw her on the cruise uh, last time, like just kind of in in passing. I mean, she was she was lovely. She was good with fans. She's just a lovely person. She's just enjoying the whole thing. She says she loves those interactions and you know on this, the the conventions and meeting people in person. She said, yes, because I read the comments. Said the comments are wonderful, <laughs> but people like, to, people like to tell you what they really think of you. I said, so yeah, we talked about the trolling and, you know, how we started, in fact, yeah. because of the trolling um, and made a separate platform so that we could talk troll-free about uh, yeah. what we loved about Star Trek and Sonequa and Discovery. And so it's been a really fun ride. It was great to open up season, our season three with our captain, 
<laughs> Saniqua Martin Green, Michael Burnham. I mean, man, it doesn't get much better. I don't know what we're gonna do. That's it. The show's over. That, that's it for the sci-fi sisters. That's it. You're done. You, you can retire now. Um, you know what? <laughs> never, for real, never. I tell you, never. I don't think there's much I can do. But um, no, no, no. We got a really great lineup of shows. I can't wait to see who else we have. I can't wait. I know. <laughs> oh my god. So um, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, but go check out the Sci-Fi Sisters. It's a great podcast and just great people. You're just great nerds, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, we just love being nerds. You know, nerd out with the Sci-Fi Sisters. Come on, y'all. And they have cool T-shirts. I love your yeah. shirts. Oh, I should have worn it. I did, yeah, I and you got and we got we got some cool T-shirts from you. I'm telling you, I love my nerd Trek T-shirt, man. Awesome. I love I like the, you know, those are my high school colors, which I think is why I really. Oh, the gold and black. black. Sold. They're good. It, it worked out then. <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you, Sabrina, for doing this. I I appreciate it. And and you are always welcome back because you are a, like a, a film library. And oh man, yeah, I got to come yeah. back with another obscure movie. <laughs> Absolutely, because if you recommend it, I'm like it's because you have good taste. I'm like I will watch it. All right, I like Absolutely. that. Cool. Um, well, that's it for this episode of the Movie Club. Uh, go to thenerdtrek.com, check out our stuff, check out all of our other podcasts and Star Trek and everything else. Uh, and with that, everyone, enjoy the show.